All right, the book of Malachi, chapter number one. Malachi, chapter number one. Somebody asked me a couple of weeks ago, said, you went the whole night on the introduction and talked about Malachi, and not once did you say Malachi. <laughs> the Italian prophet, Malachi, all right. Uh, Malachi chapter number one. Well, what we have seen so far, this great burden that Malachi, that the Lord has, transferring that burden to Malachi. Malachi is writing it down. He is giving this information to the nation of Israel. Now, just the fact that it is a burden, it's not very comforting. It's not in the least encouraging in the outset. There are some wonderful things in the last chapter. We'll get to them, all right? Hallelujah for that. And again, we've seen that numerous times in some of these minor prophets uh, that the Lord has to deal with Israel and their, their, their actions. The consequences of their actions are the reasoning for uh, all these things that the Lord brings upon them. And, and so it's no different here in Malachi. Uh, but remember that when Malachi finishes the last uh, Old Testament uh, book, the last of the minor prophets, there's a period of time in which God goes silent. I, I, quite honestly, I would be so, so fearful if God went silent in my life. If God didn't speak for a while, I, I can't hardly, uh, you know, I, I wouldn't be able to stand it a, a, a day, to be quite honest. If God just didn't do or didn't speak or didn't, or didn't do something. And, and so we have a period of 400 years in which God is silent to them. And it makes sense by the burden that Malachi is presenting because that when, when God is mentioning, he's asking these series of questions to them because they are, they are not very forthcoming. They, in fact, we're going to learn some things tonight. They, they, were, they were bad. They were, the Israelites I'm talking about, they were, they were very bad. Um, and so what I want to do tonight as these questions continue, we're going to continue. This whole chapter is being about God's enduring love. So we're going to talk about that, God's enduring love. It continues, but his love is, is, is expressed in the first part. And we dealt with that last week, how he said, I've loved Jacob, but I've hated Esau. Now, again, it's not really a play on words, and God wasn't trying to use psychology on him at all. He did not like Esau's decisions. He didn't like Esau in, in that respect because he took, he took his own people, and which you know the, the, the Edomites come from, and, and they, were, they were horrible. It was, it, was, it, was a, it was a bad situation all throughout. Anytime you see Edom or see the Edomites, there was a problem with them and, uh, and the descendants of Esau. So anyway, let's do this tonight. Tonight, I have to read the whole chapter, all right? I have to read the whole chapter because we want to we get in the flow, all right? And everything's going to flow smoothly in this chapter. And I know that we have read the, the first, you know, 10 or 11 verses uh, already a couple of times. But tonight, we're going to read the whole chapter. <clears throat> and then we're going to look at the final two thoughts of chapter number one. The first thought was, was uh, uh, the rebuke of the nation. We've already seen that. In the first six verses, all right? That's from your notes from, from last week, hopefully. But let's begin reading. Verse number one. <clears throat> the Bible says, In the burden of the word of the Lord to Israel, 
by Malachi. I have loved you, saith the Lord. Yet you say, Wherein hast thou loved us? Was not Esau Jacob's brother, saith the Lord? Yet I love Jacob, and I hated Esau, and laid his mountains and his heritage waste for the dragons of the wilderness. Whereas Edom saith, We're impoverished, but we will return and build the desolate places. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, They shall build, but I will throw down, and they shall call them the border of wickedness, and the people against whom the Lord hath indignation forever. And your eyes shall see, and you shall say, The Lord will, will be magnified from the border of Israel. A son honoreth his father, and a servant his master. If then I be a father, where is my honor? If I be a master, where is my fear? Saith the Lord of hosts unto you, O priest that despise my name. And ye say, Wherein have we despised thy name? You offer polluted bread upon mine altar, and you say, Wherein have we polluted thee? In that ye say, The table of the Lord is contemptible. And if you offer the blind for sacrifice, is it not evil? And if you offer the lame and sick, is it not evil? Offer it now unto thy governor. Will he be pleased with thee or accept thy person, saith the Lord of hosts? And now, I pray you, beseech God, that he will be gracious unto us. This hath been by your means. Will he regard your person, saith the Lord of hosts? Who is there even among you that would shut the doors for naught? Neither do ye kindle fire on mine altar for naught. I have no pleasure in you, saith the Lord of hosts. Neither will I accept an offering at your hand. For from the rising of the sun even to the going down of the same, my name <coughs> shall be great among the Gentiles. In every place incense shall be offered unto my name, and pure offering. For my name shall be great among the heathen, saith the Lord of hosts. But ye have profaned it, and that ye say the table of the Lord is polluted, and the fruit thereof, even his meat, is contemptible. You said also, Behold, what a weariness is it, and ye have snuffed at it, saith the Lord of hosts. And ye brought that which was torn, and the lame, and the sick, thus ye brought an offering. Should I accept this of your hand, saith the Lord? But cursed be the deceiver, which hath in his flock a male, and voweth, and sacrificeth unto the Lord a corrupt thing. For I am a great king, saith the Lord of hosts, and my name is dreadful among the heathen. Well, there's certainly a lot in these final verses. When I say final, I mean from 6 down to 14. There's two thoughts that I want to share with you tonight as long as my voice and throat hold up, all right? I've got one cough drop right here. Here it goes. All right, here we go. <clears throat> now I want us to look at this thought. From verse number, or in verse number 6, okay, and I've kind of put verse 6 by itself because what I see in that verse is the rebellion of the leaders or the rebellion of the leadership. There's, there's a, a group of people who were supposed to be the spiritual leaders. The Levites, namely, were that group that God used to make sure that they uh, handled everything that had to do with the temple, with the, uh, the tabernacle, the offerings, 
All of those things. They, they were busy with that. That's, that was all that they did. That entire tribe. The priests, the high priests, all come from the tribe of Levi. When the tabernacle needed to be moved, it was the tribe of Levi that moved the tabernacle. They tore it down. They packed it up. They put it on carts. And some of the, the items, the furniture items, however, were supported upon their shoulders. God didn't want the beasts of the field to be burdened by those things that the children of Israel would use for the, the worship of, uh, of him. And, and so the Levites were a very particular and meticulous group of men that handled all of those things. But there's a problem. The first problem was the sin within the Levites. The sin with them. They were the ones that were supposed to follow those institutions of the sacrifices under the law. But here's the, th- here's the problem. They neglected their responsibilities. In their neglect of their responsibilities, they despise the name of the Lord in that process. If God called them to be a and to do a specific thing as far as this group, this, these sons of Levi, they were to take care of all the curtains. Another group of sons of, the, of Levi, they were to take care of the furniture. And another group was to take care of all the, the bases, the, the ornamentation, the, the walls or the, 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 uh, uh, the fence around the tabernacle. All of those things transferred into the temple uh, operation as well. But when they're not fulfilling their responsibilities and doing those things that God wanted them to do, they are essentially despising the name of the Lord. Now listen, the same thing is true today. God has not changed. All right? He is called, we use the term he's immutable, meaning that he does not change. He in fact said, I am the Lord, I change not. That means that his character doesn't change. The idea of of who God is does not change. None of those things change about God. When it comes to worship, God doesn't change when it comes to worship. He is to be adored and adorned with everything that was within us. The problem with the priests in that day, they were despising the name of the Lord by not fulfilling their responsibilities. And here's the problem. Here's where it relates to today. People today... Don't consider the worship of God to be as, um, as high or as, um, as um, what a, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Important? Did you just, what do you say? Critical, okay. They don't think it to be, thank you. They don't think it to be as critical today. They don't think it to be as important today. In other words, worship is put secondary or maybe somewhere way on down the line because we have other things that we've got to do. So when it comes to the measure of God, in essence, if God has saved us, we should not despise his name by forgetting or not participating in the act of worship. Unfortunately, that is being done way, way too much. I, I hear it and see it quite often. I don't think that I need to go to church at all. Some think they don't need to go at all to the house of God. Some have even told me before, you know, I think I can be saved and not, and not have to go to corporate worship. Well, you, you can be, but you just won't receive some of the blessings that God has available. 
The problem is it's a despising of the name of the Lord. That's what, that's what the burden that God is experiencing here. And that's what Malachi is relating. Because the Levites were that group of people. They were more concerned and, about and, and willing to modify God's requirements to, so that it could suit themselves rather than depending on Him. They, they, they wanted it to... To, to, uh, mod, they wanted to modify the worship so that it would satisfy their own curiosity or satisfy their own circumstances. That's what was going on here in, in that day. The, the greatest name, the greatest name for God that I see in Scripture is the fact that He is our Father. Okay, now He's so much more. I mean, yes, He's our Savior. Yes, He's our Lord. He's, he's all of that. Now, Father is rarely used in the Old Testament. But when you get to the New Testament, especially the Gospel of John, did you know in the Gospel of John, the word Father, the name Father that Jesus used and others that John wrote in there was used more than 100 times in John's Gospel alone? Are we not taught whenever we pray, we are to say, Our Father which art in heaven? When we come to him, our Father, our Heavenly Father, we, we pray in his name. Father is an important name. Let, look, let me show you what I'm talking about here. Look at verse 6. He said, A son honoreth his father, and a servant his master. If then I be a father, where's my honor? He, he is saying to them, you Israelites, you because you have despised my name, you have, you have rebelled against me, you have despised my name, you have not given God the Father the honor that he deserves. And that, that stemmed from the leadership, the spiritual leadership of that day. Notice what else he says in verse 6. And if I be a master, where's my fear or where's my respect? There's a huge, huge amount of disrespect for God in these days. His name is used as a byword way too often. Way too often. There's so little respect for God. There's so little respect for God's house. There's so little respect for God in His Word. Everything that has to do with God, he, it is so little respect. So if, if he is father, if he is the master of our life, then where, where's our respect for him? Where's our fear of him? There was a point in time, and those of you have kind of told on yourself back in the day, you know, the, if you grew up in the 60s, you respected your, your father and your mother. You, you, you called them, yes, sir, and yes, ma'am. It, it is so instilled to me, I still do it today. And some people said, don't call me, sir. I, I can't help it, sir. I'm sorry, sir. It's inbred in me, sir. I keep going, I keep going on with it. I, you know, I, I can't have it. It's, it's, a, it's an attitude of respect for, for them. It is because it was instilled in me in, in many, many ways. Okay? If, if it wasn't instilled back here, in the, in the midsection back here where there's, there's a little bit of padding, and thank God for the padding. There, there were a few times that it, that it was instilled up here. That's cruel, preacher. No, I learned how to be respectful. You know, I, I, I've told this story to young people before, and um, I learned a great lesson one day. And um, 
I backtalked my mama twice. My first and last time. In one event. Because I, and, and she, she's going to, she's probably going to call me tomorrow after I tell this story. But uh, I respected her after that more than ever. What I, what I did was I, I disrespected and I backtalked her. And the next thing I know, I was on this one side of the bed. The next thing I know, I was on the other side of the bed. In between the bed and the wall. Okay? It's one of the things I just, I, I have a really hard time with. I know I, I learned a, a lesson, you know, as if that wasn't enough, I thought, you know, I'm a big shot. I'm a new kid in school. We had just moved to this area in, in school in, in uh, Greensboro, North Carolina. And I was, fourth grade was a really rough year for me. I mean, it was every week I was getting some kind of punishment. And back in that day when you got punishment, y'all know what I'm talking about. It is a paddling, right? They, they, didn't, they didn't make no bonds. All right, all right, Haskett, grab your ankles. Here we go. I mean, it was in the hallway in front of everybody, too. It wasn't in a private room. It wasn't now. And, and, it, and it wasn't the days when, you no, know, if you hit them, it, it teaches them to hit. No, it teaches you to shut up. You can't sit down because of that. But, it, I mean, it, you learn the lesson, right? So I, 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 I was, this one day I was getting off the bus and I saw the principal of the school and his name. I'll still remember his name. Mr. Burton. You understand what I'm saying? His name was Mr. Burton. And what I did was, and this is terrible, I'm telling y'all something that, that I have not told in years, and I don't even know why I'm telling y'all this. <laughs> Maybe I should stop the story, shouldn't I? Should I stop the story? I know. Y'all are y'all no, y'all gonna y'all gonna hound me to death. I'll be getting the emails. You know, Mr. Burton, I'm assuming Mr. Burton's already passed away. Praise the Lord. Anyway, no, I'm kidding. That was terrible. All right. So here's the thing. Here's the thing. I saw, I was getting off the bus, and, and, and Mr. Burton was there. Instead of calling him Mr. Burton, I just used his last name. See, I'm afraid to even say it right now. Just, just saying his last name. His eye caught my eye, and it was over. I thought my life was over because Daddy didn't play that game. Mama didn't play that game. And I was like, please, dear Lord. I was praying. I wasn't even saved, but I was praying. I'd made a profession, but God didn't know me at that time. And it was very obvious. All right, anyway. For the rest of the year, and this was early in the year, for the rest of the year. Now listen, this was, this was my punishment, you know, to prevent mom and dad from here. I don't even know if they know this. They will now, though. <laughs> for the rest of the year, the first thing I did when I walked on school property, I was to find Mr. Burton and say, good morning, Mr. Burton. The rest of the year, every school day, before I did anything else. You know what I learned a lesson of respect and honor to the person who has exceeded my authority. You know, that's all God wants. God just wants to be respected for who He is. He's our Father. He wants to be honored for who He is. He's our Father. 
And a father will pity his children. And that is not saying, oh, how pitiful they are. That is showing honor to them in the same way, if there's respect. Now, i got to say this as well. There are some parents that don't deserve respect. I'm just saying, that, that has to be earned. Well, I brought you into this world, I'll take you out. No, no, no. That may be true in some ways, but there is an element of earning that respect of your children that's necessary for them to respect you. That's all God wants. The problem with the leadership, the spiritual leadership in that day, they didn't respect God and they didn't honor God. I wasted a lot of time telling you all those stories, didn't I? Man. God had, God had shown Israel. He had shown Israel his love for them. And the only thing he wanted out of them was for them to respect him and respect him as, as, uh, as their father. And, you know, with, with his care and his, his love for them, they, they should have had a greater respect for him. But they didn't do it. They've essentially given to the enemies, the enemies of God, a reason for them to despise his name. Watch this now. Here's what I mean by that. When a person disrespects or despises the name of God, what's that person who doesn't know God, what are they going to do? If a Christian, you know, by name, okay, i got to put that in quotes. If a Christian by name disrespects God, disrespects the house of God, what is a heathen person or a person that doesn't know, a pagan person who's lost, how are they going to respond to that? They don't want your God. They don't want your Father if you can't respect Him enough. All right, <clears throat> enough of verse 6. We got the rebellion of the leaders. The rest of the chapter, 7 through 14, has to do with the rejection of God's order. Because of the rebellion of the leaders, you know what they did? They did not follow God's divine order in which they were to handle and do the sacrifices. Let, let me show you what I'm talking about. Look at verse 7. Ye offer polluted bread upon mine altar, and ye say, Wherein have we polluted thee? In that ye say the table of the Lord is contemptible. Or the, the, the idea of the word contemptible there just means shameful. Look, look at verse 8. And, and if you offer the blind for sacrifice, is it not evil? The word evil is, means that it's the very nature of it is wickedness and, and corrupt. Did God want a blind sacrifice? When we read about the sacrifices, and, and you know this very well, we've talked about them oftentimes. In the book of Leviticus chapters 1, 1 through 5 talk about all the different sacrifices. The very first one, the burnt sacrifice, it had to be a lamb without any blemishes, zero blemishes. It could not be blind. It could not be lame. It could not, it, all, it had to be inspected by certain order of the Levitical priesthood in order for them to, to accept that sacrifice for the burnt offering. When, and here's why. When you lose that perfection, you lose the picture of Jesus Christ. So, 
what they were doing was shameful in that they were offering polluted bread. Now, polluted bread means uh, it, it could have a number of different ideas with it. It could have leaven in it when it, did, it was not supposed to have leaven. It, it could have another ingredient in it. It could be old. There was a certain process of what's called the meat offering or the meal offering that they had to follow through with. And if they did not do that, then it was shameful on their part. So they're not, by not following God's divine order, they are, are, and rejecting God's divine order, they are disrespecting Him. He says this, verse 8. If you're all the lame or sick, is it not evil? Then he says, offer it now to the governor. Will he be pleased with thee or accept thy person, saith the Lord of hosts? In other words, you, you, you have something that you want to give to the governor. And this was the Persian governor, by the way, the one that had been ruling over them. You, you take your, your meager or your unsatisfactory sacrifice or that meal that you want to give. Serve the governor some molded bread. See how that goes over. Serve him some spoiled meat. Let's see how that goes over. Basically what God's saying, what you're offering to me is spoiled. What you're giving to me is something that's, that, that, that may be moldy or something that is not sufficient. It's not a suitable sacrifice for me. And so they're rejecting God's divine order of that. Would the governor accept it? They knew the answer to that. No, the governor would accept it. So why should God accept it? Here's the thing. Let's bring it today. I think sometimes it is very pitiful what we offer God. Or what we attempt to give to God. We give God the last of the last or the meager of, ours, uh, of us or ourselves or what we have when God should be getting the first. He deserves the first fruits. He deserves the best. Now, if our best is what we have, then it's our best. But if our best is something different than what we're offering, then that's a rejection of God's order. Because God just wants our best. What did He give? He gave his best. God gave his best for you and I. And we should give our best. You know, that's why that we, when, I mean, I, I end the email, let's prepare Saturday before we come to church on Sunday. It, it shouldn't be that we wake up and, and uh, you know, we're ha half asleep. You know, we only brush one half of our teeth. You know, the shirt tails half out. We just got one sock on, and we come to church and expecting God to do something wonderful. Why is it that we stay up later on Saturday night than any other night during the week? We get less sleep on Saturday night than we do any other night of the week. Oh, that's so, I, I know, so we, so we can take a nap during the preaching. Being unprepared when we come to the house of God is not acceptable to God. 
And it's shameful on our part when we're not prepared. If I'm honest with you, there have been a few times in my life in ministry that I felt very unprepared when I come to the pulpit. And that's shameful on my part. I've tried, you know, I've tried to be better prepared. But there have been a few times in my life in ministry and walking into this pulpit, I'm just not ready. Now, some guys can come in and manufacture a, you know, a service where, whoa, it's glorious, you know, the preacher didn't even get to preach. Well, isn't that why we come to church? Hear from God? When the Spirit moves in, now that's a different story. But I've been in some of those places, some of those times where everything's manufactured. God's not happy with that. There's a rejection of God's order. Look further. Look further. Verse 9. I got a lot of ground to cover here. Look what he says in verse 9. And now I pray you beseech God that, that he will be gracious unto us. This has been by your means. Will you regard your person, saith the Lord of hosts? Who is there even among you that would shut the doors for naught? In other words, what he's saying in verse 9, that first question of verse number 10, is that the priest in that day, they, they had the means for having acceptable offerings to the Lord, but all they were doing, all they were concerned about was doing um, the common things, like gathering, um, gathering the offerings, uh, making sure the doors were shut, you know, all right, everybody out, let's lock the doors, go home. Um, they, they were concerned about just getting their work done and just the personal matters. They despised God's work. They, they, didn't, they didn't have any enjoyment whatsoever of, of, of uh, sacrificing or worshiping the Lord because all of that was not from their heart. See, when we come to God's house, we should come to God's house prepared in our hearts, ready to worship him. Ready to see Jesus. Further, he says in verse number 10, he says, Neither do you kindle fire in mine altar for naught. I have no pleasure in you, saith the Lord of hosts. Neither will I accept an offering at your hand. You're doing this just for the sake of the job. Doing it for a paycheck. I remember, I've been asked a couple of times if I enjoy doing what I do. I love doing what I do. It's not for a paycheck. It's for the souls of mankind. It's to be a help and encouragement to people. Look at this from verse 11. He says, For from the rising of the sun, even to the going down of the same, my name shall be great among the Gentiles, and every place incense shall be offered unto my name, and a pure offering for my name shall be great among the heathen, saith the Lord of hosts. Now let me ask you a question. How many countries, how many continents in this world has Gentiles on it? All of them, all right? All of them, all right? How many of those countries and nations is God's name presented? Now, I know we don't know the answer to the, all of that question or every nation, but I do know this on every continent because we have missionaries on every continent, okay? And on every continent, there are Gentile nations. And, they, and the classification is they're heathen or paganistic. But what we do have among those nations, we have men and women, families, who are presenting the gospel. We just had a missionary 
to Burkina Faso. An African nation. Muslim nation. We have, we have missionaries in Morocco. We have missionaries in South Sudan. We have missionaries in Zambia. We have missionaries in Uganda. Okay? Those places. And those will be classified as heathen nations. Not because it's Africa, but because they're, they're Gentile. Um, I, I can go to Europe and say the same thing. Because the people there are, are the same way. They're Gentiles and they're, they're heathen. That's the terminology used. And I don't mean they're like you know, headhunters and cannibalistic. I'm not talking about that at all. I'm talking about they just don't know God. They're paganistic in their belief system. They're atheist in their belief system. However, on all of those places, in all those places, and you'll see all the missionaries, the location of all of our missionaries that we have, they're in those places where Gentile people are and they are proclaiming the gospel. They are proclaiming the name of, of, of God, of, of Jesus. And that's what he's saying here. He says, my name's going to be great among the Gentiles. Is God's name great among the Gentiles? Is God's name great in America? I mean, at one time it was greater than it is now. But at one time, I mean, the monuments in D.C. have God's name all uh, you know, engraved in them. It's here. It's not as great as it once was, but at one time, he's saying here, there's a time, there will be a time in which God's name will be great among the Gentile people. Remember that this is prophecy. And he's prophetic, he's saying prophetically there's coming a time in which God's name will be lifted up among the Gentiles, among the nation, heathen nations at one point in time all across the globe. Now, has every people group heard the gospel? I doubt it very seriously. But on every continent, I do know that we have a missionary. Watch this now. Look at verse number 12. <clears throat> Here's where the rejection continues. Now, he's, he started that in verse 7. You polluted bread upon mine altar. And then he explains how that's happened in verse 8, 9, 10, and 11. Watch verse 12 now. But ye have profaned it in that ye say the table of the Lord is polluted and the fruit thereof even his meat is contemptible or it's shameful. They're saying the spiritual leaders of that day, the Levites, the priests were saying everything that God has done, the, the, the table that he has put forth, it is shameful. God is not shameful. The people are shameful. But not God. Because remember he said, you've said this. The people have said this. You've polluted his name. You've profaned his name. Look at verse 13. You said also, behold, what a weirdness is it. And you have suffered at it, saith the Lord of hosts. And you brought that which was torn, and the lame, and the sick. Thus you brought an offering. Should I accept this of your hand, saith the Lord? The, the word torn there means those, uh, uh, one animal that was to be sacrificed that has suffered by violence. Uh, in other words, maybe a wolf come and took one of the legs, or uh, injured it, by, or uh, it was injured in a fall, and it had a lame leg or something, or some other kind of violent act upon that. And you want to offer that instead of a lamb that is without blemish? Should I accept that? No. God's saying I shouldn't accept that at all. Well, watch what he says now in verse number 14. But cursed be the deceiver, which hath in his flock a male, and voweth and sacrifice unto the Lord a corrupt thing. 
he has, this guy who's being deceptive, he has a male the first year without blemish in his flock. But instead of using the male that's without blemish in his flock, he gets one that has a broken leg or one that has suffered at the hand of a wolf or the mouth of a wolf or some other means by which that animal has, uh, has become sick or sickly. Should God accept that? No. Here's why. The last part of verse 14, he says, For I'm a great king, saith the Lord of hosts. My name is dreadful among the heathen. The word dreadful means to be respected or feared. God's name will be respected among the heathen nations. At one point in time, God's name was respected in America. Much greater than it is today. But for Malachi, several thousand years ago, he prophesied that there will come a day in which Gentile nations, heathen nations, will respect God. Malachi didn't see the age in which we're living in right now. He didn't see it at all. But he could prophesy about it. He could prophesy about the day in which the Gentile nations would be respectful and fearful of the name of the Lord. And we've lived through that. So, all that being said, I apologize for those illustrations that took up so much time. Anyway, I hope the point got across. That is chapter 1. Now we'll get into chapter 2, and guess what happens? More questions. More problem areas of the people of Israel. Because the Lord is sharing the burden of His heart to Israel. Let's pray. Father, we love You so very, very much. We're grateful, Lord, for the opportunities You've given to us. Thank You, Lord, for uh, this day. Thank You for the time that we can spend uh, here in Your Word. And Lord, help us to learn something from this passage of Scripture uh, that will enlighten us and, and equip us for the days to come. We thank you. We love you. Bless the people now, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.